Hi everyone. Before we kick off this podcast, we just wanted to flag that our Women in Project Management Conference is back in person on Thursday, the 22nd of September in London. As hybrid working merges our home and work lives and project deadlines remain unrelenting, how do we improve our well-being? The conference will address the key challenges of modern work, sharing insights from project management experts and providing the opportunity to network. The day will also include our Think Differently Summit, which will explore the subjects of diversity, its role in teams, the workplace and delivering project success. You can check out the full programme and book your place at apm.org.uk. Right, on with the episode. Welcome to the APM podcast. APM is the chartered body for the project profession. My name is Emma DeVita and I'm the editor of Project, APM's quarterly journal and your host. Today I'm speaking to Sarah Coleman and Andrew Schuster. Sarah is a chartered project professional and fellow of APM and PhD researcher, among many other roles. She specialises in operationalising strategy and policy working across central government, public services and private industry. Andrew is the National Director of Transformation Risk and Advisory at PwC Canada. Sarah and Andrew co-authored the recent APM research report, Value of Assurance Management Practices, which you can download at apm.org.uk. In this podcast, I'll be asking them to explore the practical takeaways for practitioners from their research. But before we dive in, let's define what we mean by assurance and by assurance management. APM defines assurance as the process of providing confidence to stakeholders that projects, programmes and portfolios will achieve their objectives for beneficial change. Assurance management, meanwhile, is defined in the report as a discipline that provides transparency and confidence to the sponsoring group that the portfolio programme or project will meet its objectives for beneficial change by focusing activities on the riskiest aspects. The aim of their research was to develop the understanding of how project organisations and individuals can deliver an assurance management service. And we hope that by the end of our discussion, you'll leave with plenty of food for thought on why assurance management matters more now than ever, and what you can do to create an optimised assurance management service. Okay, welcome Sarah and Andrew. Thanks for joining me today. Um, perhaps, Sarah, could we begin with an explanation of what assurance management is exactly? Thank you, Emma. So um, assurance management for projects, programs, mega projects, etc., um, kind of run a spectrum of things. But it's all the, the focus of it and the nexus of it is really about um, looking, providing a degree of confidence to uh, to governance bodies around that informing decision making for governance as well. Um, It's typically predictive, it's not retrospective, it's what is going to happen and how to manage risk around it. So it's very heavily concerned with um, project governance, project risk, um, and also looking forward, probably project benefits as well. So you've got all of those various um, aspects of it. But I think a lot of the the definitions that are currently out there about objective examination, independent assessment, um, they're also about controls and processes and focused at um, independent perspective 
cutting across oversights and biases. So there are a number of, of ways of, of describing this. There's no single precise definition. And that's really why um, Andrew and I within the research came up with the, the kind of definition that we felt most comfortable with given our own experience around this and also what we've we've seen um, and what and the um, organizations that we talk to as well. Do you want to give us that precise definition again? The assurance management uh, definition that we've provided is uh, a discipline that provides transparency and confidence to the sponsoring group um, so that the portfolio program or project will meet its objectives for beneficial change by focusing activities on the riskiest aspects of portfolio program or project. Um, Andrew, would you be be able to give us some insight into the state of um, assurance management today i know it's quite a, a big question to ask but in general how long along the road of maturity are we or the organizations you spoke to for the research well in terms of you know the state of assurance management i would share a few things that i think are relevant and i would say looking more broadly beyond the organizations that we spoke to that assurance management is something that has come there's been around, been around for some uh time but what it is uh it is maturing it is becoming more relevant and better understood and i'll give you an example of why i'm saying that is there's some standards that are set around program and project management, uh, COBIT, C-O-B-I-T, and the organization didn't really emphasize assurance management very much in previous versions of their standards, and increasingly it is being included. And then if I look at now to your question about the actual organizations that we talked to, they're on a journey as well, and they had some form of assurance management, but are on a journey themselves to understand how they can actually mature it make it more impactful and actually more relevant to their organizations. Some of the organizations that we spoke to had, um, you know, practices around assurance management for some time, but still didn't quite feel they had got to the point that they wanted to and were working at, you know, and making improvements and actually were keen to find, see the findings of our study to see what else they could do. What's interesting there, though, is they were on a journey. They recognized the value, the, the importance of assurance management and were working at it to do it, to make it more mature and more impactful. OK, thank you. I'd like to ask, ask both of you, why does assurance management matter now more than ever in delivering successful projects? Perhaps, Sarah, you'd like to answer that first. I think um, the overriding ambition here is to help projects succeed. Um, we all, organisations, government, whoever they are, charities, third sector, um, they're in investing money and they're best investing money in time, capital equipment, people. Um, and I think it's, it's beholden on us to ensure that we're, we're spending that money in, in the right way, in the good way, uh, and we're getting the most um, effective uh, results from the money that we're investing. So I think it, it really comes out, there's a lot of focus, especially around projects and programs, especially these mega ones that the uh, government uh, are undertaking, is is it worth it? And I think that's the, the most basic question there is. And I think assurance specifically helps give that degree of confidence around it that those projects programs are still relevant and they're still moving in the right direction okay thank you and andrew your thoughts on that 
Well, if, if you look at it from a macro perspective, the one thing that we've, you know, we're seeing in research and particularly some of the work that Association for Project Management has done is projects programs, portfolios are relevant to society. And increasingly, organizations are becoming more project-based. And there's data to support that, that, you know, there's more of these things happening. And each, and the other thing that it's showing is that they're becoming more complex, that some of the larger uh, mega projects, the, 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 the large programs and projects you're seeing, for instance, in the government's uh, major project portfolio in the United, they're the United Kingdom, they're, they're, they're billions of pounds, like, and they go on for years, and you, they're very complex. And if you think of an analogy where you've got a simpler unit where a work, a program, project, where it's small and you can kind of, as, as a leader, you can see all the moving pieces, you, you know, you know the individuals, you understand the complexities. As these get larger, they're just unwieldy. There's too many moving parts. And so you need something else to help you to understand what are the risks, challenges, and, 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 and to bring information to you that helps you actually make good decisions. And if you think of the large mega programs and projects, they're not even just one organization, there's multiple organizations. So there's so many boundaries and so complex. And so the relevance becomes these matter to society and they're becoming more complex. And assurance management is one of the tools, one of the ways that leaders can actually um, help to improve the success of these or the, the impact or value of the, the investments that they're making in these major programs, projects and portfolios. Okay, so just to follow up on that, or to ask a very obvious question, but what is its real value for projects and programs, just to really spell that out? Well, if you can look at, uh, unpick that from a, uh, I would unpick that from a, a risks and issues perspective. And the, w w what that translates into is we want to avoid um, things that we can actually, that will become problematic, costly, or somehow limit the 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 impact of the programs or projects assurance is a way of looking if it's done well of looking to the future providing uh decision makers with uh information that allows them to take actions to prevent things in the future rather than coming along after the fact and say oh you could have should have would have done something different that's unhelpful to the leadership so the real value for programs and pro uh, for assurance management programs and projects is helping decision makers make decisions that allow the future of that program project to be better than it would have been otherwise. And there's different things that come into the to, 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 to techniques, tools, and processes and ways of working that help with that. And assurance management as a is a function, as a of a management tool brings those things together. Thanks. And Sarah, anything you'd like to add to that? I think that that's pretty spot on, actually. <laughs> I, I would certainly um, uh, endorse all of that thinking. Um, but I, I think also that um, increasingly organizations are run projects. We all run projects in one way or another from uh, small, medium size enterprise right up to the, the global corporates. Um, and they all want to know that they're getting the best out of what they're putting their money into. Um, so I think it's a very reasonable thing to look at and to ascertain and to ask the, the question how are we doing if i can add to that as well and th this word of value is actually a loaded um, term and value is determined by those that are receiving the value and the other thing to probably highlight is the larger more complex a program or project the more 
interested parties or stakeholders are involved and they interpret value in different ways. So one of the other things about real value for projects and programs is taking the time to think about what value means to different people because there isn't one answer to that. Uh, or different stakeholders or groups of individuals. And if I have, you know, take an analogy of where, or an example rather, where you have uh, uh, investment in say rail infrastructure and for those that are commuting from one destination to the other and they want to do it faster, that's great. If you're in the, the, the locality where they're building the actual railway and it's you're going to have now trains going in your backyard, that's not, so great, but they might find value in other ways. So you've got to think about what value means to individuals and take the time to translate that again. And it's not a passive activity. So assurance management helps with that. In the report, you mentioned five dimensions. I wondered, Sarah, could you give us an overview of what those five dimensions are and how can these be primed to create an optimized assurance management service? Sure. Well, they, unpacking them, there are, uh, as we say, in fact, to be fair, there, there are many dimensions, but I think the real focus that when we talked uh, to our organisations about their focus were on these. Um, and certainly it, it um, underlines our own experience around it. But starting, um, if you like, from the top, the governance and then assurance is a good governance tool. There's no doubt about that. Um, it supports the um, the decisions that they have to make, um, the kind of ideas and investment decisioning that they might well make going forward um, and about the future of that project itself, too. So being able to identify the, those risks, those um, those decisions that need to be made uh, for the future, um, certainly one of the, the prime five dimensions is, is around governance. I think the um, a second one might be, for example, what we call cadence, uh, which is pace and rhythm. So there are a huge variety of assurance activities out there. And, and to be fair, reviews, assurance reviews are probably the best well known, but they're only one of those. Um, so how regularly do you do you undertake these kinds of things? Do you do it um, calendar? Do you do it uh, event based? What is it? Um, another a further dimension is around specialism. Um, and this is actually quite interesting because um, a lot of the organizations had different views around assurance management um, and who is best placed to actually carry that out. Now, in some mega projects, what you find is that they'll go out to external uh, external consultancies, external individuals. Um, uh, but typically, um, if you're you're doing in-house assurance, um, then you're taking people in individually from um, within the organization to help make that happen. Um, and that really leads into the next uh, dimension around integration. So you're trying to connect um, teams uh, within an organization, whether that's a temporary project organization or the, the permanent functional organization, you're trying to make those routes um, and those connections all the time. Um, so right across the organization, but also um, different functional areas and different uh, seniorities, uh, working across organizational boundaries. And I think for me, that's one of the, the major aspects around assurance. 
um, is the boundary spanning, what we call boundary spanning. So being able to go across boundaries, being able to, whether those boundaries are teams, whether they might de be departments, it's around being able to aggregate and, and actually integrate um, knowledge and experience and expertise in areas. And then, of course, the, the last thing is is the meth the idea around methods. So, what kind of processes do you do to do um, to to push this forward as well? Um, so, I'm I'm a great believer that uh, you start off with the most appropriate um, method of assurance for your organisation, and that might be a very simple, discreet, local health project health check, right up to the um, uh, the mega um, assurance practices for major for for mega projects around uh, P rep teams, um, project representative teams, but it's always around the questions um, for me and the, the terms of reference. What are you actually trying to achieve with this? What is the the focus of attention around it? So just to recap those five dimensions: governance, cadence, specialism, integration, and methods. Thank you. Uh, just whilst we, you've been explaining that, could you give us an idea of um, how each of those dimensions can be best primed to create an optimised assurance management service? So um, just maybe a point on each would be really helpful to begin to understand how it all ties together. So um, for governance, a lot of it is um, within the research, Andrew and I put together a, a table around what, if you like, is, is assurance light and what's assurance heavy and what might be a, a very reasonable um, midway point uh, for organisations. So I would say, for example, for governance, if, if assurance management is perhaps not as mature as it could be, um, then there might be um, a lack of policy standards or directive around this or not an awful lot of support for it. Whereas if it's excessive, um, then you may well find that you've got multiple policies and directives and you've got conflict actually for assurance within a, a very specific project. Um, that's not unusual at all for major um, projects that are complex, innovative, or particularly at risk or high reputation. You kind of, um, organizations tend to want to really bundle a lot of assurance in there, which can be quite distracting for the, the project team. So it's about context um, and it's about understanding what the environment is and what is appropriate at that level. Another easy one might be well be cadence. Um, so perhaps that it, um, uh, if you're talking about very light assurance or immature assurance, it actually might be um, rather than doing that on a, on a regular basis, whether that is calendar or event driven, might, it might be by exception only. So it might be once in a project rather than on a, on a regular rhythm around it. And of course, um, the opposite of that being over enthusiastic might be too much too frequently uh, and not giving enough time to actually do the delivery um, because a lot of this work and I think it's worth this pointing out um, it impacts quite significantly on project teams and the project delivery or it certainly can do um, and it's always going to be a balancing act between um, taking focus away from delivery in order to accommodate 
uh, assurance in whatever form that assurance might actually take. That's a very good point. Um, what about any anything else around the kind of integration or specialism or the methods, perhaps? Well, specialism um, often can be if if it's an immature, then it's it's taking individuals which, if you like, are um, available rather than which who are appropriate. Maybe they they have um, you're looking for people who have a particular specialism or a particular area of expertise or experience around the type of project that you're actually doing or about the kind of particular question you're asking within that review. Um, the other end of that spectrum may well be that you're buying in expensive and overly qualified individuals, um, whereas actually you might well be better looking in-house. So you can see that for each of these, there's, there's a spectrum of, of what might be a very minimal level of expectation as opposed to what you th you, you're getting, which might well be excessive later on down the line. That's really interesting. Um, Andrew, is there anything you'd like to add to that? There's quite a lot packed into really how you kind of get started with uh, these particular dimensions. I think the point that I'd really emphasize, though, is you need to think about these different dimensions and situate it within the context of your organization. Uh, you can't assume that what's required is in place. And these are ways of unlocking the mindset of how you get started. And we've provided some questions that and hints at, okay, if you're going to think through these five dimensions, what you know really is good look like for your organization? And and each organization is going to have a slightly different answer. So the way you get started is you need a strategy plan for developing and creating assurance management capabilities in your organization and think about these five dimensions be specific be intentional and then work at getting the alignment between what the needs of your organization are relative to your capability and um, uh, or the needs of the program or project and then build that out over time so it's about being in, in, you know uh, intentional and if the assurance management isn't working it's very likely that there's some aspect of these five dimensions that you need to think about and we've given as much as many signals as we could based on the case studies that we did that will help you work through um, really getting 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 started i guess who should, uh, it might be an obvious question to ask, but who should be involved with this right from the very start? What level within the organization? In terms of who should be involved, if you, I like when you asked a question earlier, you said, you know, assurance management as a service. And I think that is key. It's something that's provided to the governance bodies and individuals. So the question first becomes who owns the assurance management service? There needs to be someone who's accountable for that. And who should that be? Well, there's different answers for that, but what I would the, the design thinking should be that somebody who is there to support the govern, governance bodies and individuals should be made accountable. In smaller programs and projects, it's it, it's going to there's fewer individuals who you can appoint to that, so you're going to have a, a smaller pool to pick from. It's probably uh, you know somebody in a support office, or will be somebody in support office if you think of that conceptually a project manager or someone like that in larger undertakings you might have just one individual that's their job they are the assurance management service lead 
and in Sarah mentioned P reps and in, in a way that's one aspect of where you've got someone who's that's their job their full-time response for that so again it's there's not one answer it's design the the unpicking that though the governance bodies should be the ones that are when they're establishing their governance structures and they're saying okay I need support the leader, the, the the sponsor, the executive, whoever's responsible for the program project should be making sure there's a design and accountability for assurance somewhere in their the, the bailiwick. And so I would start from, from that and then build out from there, if that makes sense. And just through the research you've done, is that what most organizations are doing that you anecdotally, or do you feel that, that assurance management is getting off to the right start um, generally? Assurance management is one of many services that are provided to governance bodies. And I, the same point I'd make for assurance, we were making about assurance, assurance management in terms of being designed, you would also apply to these other services, you know, benefits realization, risk management, et cetera. And, I, and my observation based on this research and other uh, work that from experience is it's not so planful as it could be. So the support services that are provided to governance bodies and individuals, I don't think there's uh, an established, um, there's some hints at that, there's some literature and standards around this, but in practice, I don't see organizations being as mindful or as structured. So what it tends to be is more emergent, that it's required and that there's some um, reasons why you have assurance sometimes driven through audit functions etc so they build it in but it's not designed in a way that considers the five dimensions that we're pulling forward in this particular report and and, and a strategy and a plan for developing that capability put in place and i'll make one final point and that is you have to put there's a mindset which i think is helpful for me and might be for others and that is if you think of programs and projects as organizations of them of themselves and we use the word project-based organizations it's something that is create created and emerged within the context of other organizational structures and so you're building it up from from nothing in a way and if you're not planful the organization that you're operating the program project doesn't have all the features and services that it needs to have and if you assume that the parent organizations the other things around have all the things that you need you'll run into problems and this is often what happens in programs and projects so you're thinking that you and i'll use a different service areas resource management you think that the HR functions and organizations are going to be able to recruit the specialists at this pace that you need for your program. It doesn't happen because they're not designed for that. Assurance management is the same thing. So the, the things that are available for assurance management organizations for large programs and projects and, and often smaller ones just is not there. So you need to build it. You need to build the capability. Do executives within organizations who are running more projects need to be more cognizant of the fact that they need to have this available to project professionals within their organization, that there is a lack there of support for project professionals. I would put it this way, and it is, you have very bright, capable leaders who have come up through the organization, their organization and have been successful because they are good 
at delivering your, in, a, in, a, in an organizational sense for that um, might be operational or finance or whatever. Very few of these executives have actually managed and delivered. It's, I'm going to emphasize the large and complex programs. So they're, they're terribly capable but they don't have the experience. And there's data to support that often the senior responsible owners, the most exec, senior executives, have only ever implemented one of these in their life. And then they're, and they may not have at most, <laughs> it's rare for them to, and why? Because they usually take some while for them to become that senior in the organization. And these, these large initiatives don't come along that often. So the, the knowledge that individuals have is it may not, Served them well, so the question then is, how do you actually help these these leaders when they come into these roles? And I think we've got to think about it, come at it a slightly different way, and not just assume that these executives have the knowledge they they have. Uh, and if they did have it, Sarah and I wouldn't have the jobs we have reviewing <laughs> programs or projects because they, they wouldn't need us to be coming in to do these things and pointing out often, time and time again, very similar things. Mm. Okay, interesting. Sarah, I would like to ask you, what can project professionals learn from your research? And and what can they put into practice in their own work? So really, what I'm trying to get to are the, the practical pieces of advice or food for thought that listeners can start implementing, or at least thinking, start thinking about um, after having read your research, which I um, absolutely advocate. So anything you'd like to pass on, Sarah? Certainly. Um, I think there are there are a number of areas around here. The, the most obvious one uh, being the people who are actually doing the assurance reviews um, or any other type of assurance um, practice as well. Um, often, I know it sounds very basic and tactical, but often it's a matter of, of good listening. Um, and actually, trying to work out in your own mind what you're actually being told uh, around this. So often we look at um, project capability in very much in the technical dimension. Um, do you know about your Gantt charts, critical, you know, critical paths? Do you know about your risk assessments and all the rest of that? Um, but I think there's, there's something very keen here to, to um, bring to the fore which is um more social and uh, human behavioral aspects as well so and i i bring this out and i offer this mainly because um i'm involved and i think andrew is too in a lot of the gmpp reviews for uk government um and it is a matter of experience and expertise around this and we both we both andrew and i both have gray hair around this there's no doubt about it so we 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 often know what we're looking for when we walk into into these situations um but there is this other aspect which is the the, the social and the, the behavioral bit as well which is as important because i think one of the things that that people get very worried about is they see this as compliance and policing when actually if you twist the mindset around this and reformulate it and reframe it as um you know getting some free consultancy here um, and this is not about slaps on the wrist. This is about actually how can we help you to get this project in the best possible uh, form so that it uh, it delivers in the best possible way. 
And I think reformulating that mindset around it is actually quite important. And if there's so that's one thing I, I would really like project your project professionals, you know, um, wherever they are in whatever industry sector around the world, where, whichever geography they are, that is a key thing I'd like to take, get them to take away. I think the other thing is um, uh, around how not just how to do it, but also how to receive it. So often organizations will use the same set, um, the same pool of talent to deliver projects, but also to be assured with their, for their own projects. So this is not just about being able to assure. This is also being able to receive assurance. Um, and I think that those two aspects are very important. And that's what I'd say for the project professionals. And I think also I would also play to the point that, that Andrew made earlier, which is about the, the senior um, levels, the, the senior leadership teams, the board of organisations too, being able to support it and understand why it's there and what it can do for them um, and therefore how to take advantage of it in the best possible way. Um, there's not much if you're talking about actual development and learning um one of the things that that we both recognize is that assurance is a fairly junior member of um project studies and project practices this is kind of a newbie so we're still finding our way there is some literature out there there's various pieces of research around it but it's actually still quite new and still in very much in the development phase which is why it's so exciting as well um so i i would though that kind of would be my response um to to your question there emma i wasn't expecting you to talk about mindset and behavior so those inform a particular culture then have you got any advice around the type of culture that project professionals should be seeking to create on their teams that serves assurance well assurance management well i I go back to um i cannot remember who said it in nasa but he basically said um assurance uh, reviews are for the reviewed and not the reviewers if you basically don't do anything with it then that opportunity is completely lost. And for me, that really talks to the um, organizational culture as learning and open. So um, this, is, this is not about compliance. And as I said, compliance and policing, this is more about how can we help you do this? So for example, in, in organizations, I certainly know in government, um, you do have the formal assurance reviews but what you also have is what they call critical friend reviews which are a lot less formal um, in their uh, in their approach but the 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 underlying sentiment is the same this is about support it's about giving you the best possible chance of of being successful um, and i think trying to create that mindset and this is an opportunity to develop and learn as well um, which project practitioners don't often have when they're doing their day job. So this is a period to be able to, to take out some space, carve some space to reflect on what's going on and why, and actually how they might change if they think they need to change in order to make it better. 
So that's why I, I push towards and I lean towards the learning and development side of this. Is there anything else you'd like to add around the, um, what project professionals can learn from your research and put into practice in their own work? I want to extend uh, a little bit uh, this idea that you identified around culture and I highlight a few things. These five dimensions that we've identified are actually levers to actually change culture or to reinforce the culture that you're looking for. With a few added things, uh, the culture studies will introduce um, some other concepts. Um, and Sarah mentioned one of them is you have to have learning and learning cycles so that you're taking, um, you know, you're, have, you're nudging the organization in a direction by learning from, and so you need to formally build into to, to your bailiwick of things, um, something around learning practices. So one of the other services which we don't explore in the study is knowledge management. And it has um, um, an, ways of, uh, of taking the assurance management findings and processes and learn from those and build a learning system within to your, your organization. What, what the shift here though, in terms of applying you know, this in practice is thinking that actually it's, think of an organization, all what is the features of an organization and the service that make it operate and build those into those ways of working. And assurance management connects with resource management, knowledge management, risk management, procurement. It doesn't operate in isolation. And so when you are thinking about these things, think about assurance connects and build those connections and that culture in your programs and projects so that it actually has the impact that you're, 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 you're thinking you want, you're working toward. So project professionals that are usually um, new to the profession are sort of encouraged or have roles where they're doing some of the more processual things of, uh, of, plans and 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 doing tracking and doing reporting as you build your profession this is something else that you should have exposure to you should have some knowledge of and you should have it built into your thinking because it connects with whatever you are doing as a project professional be the things i've mentioned or others so how does it ask the question how does it fit into my role and how can i as a professional bring this so that it, that service is impactful for this particular program project i'm working on and i just close uh, you know close off and saying the one thing that we want to separate and this is a bit about language is uh, we have historical language in the program project uh, management literature around quality assurance and i would get i would encourage people to separate the idea of quality not that the, what we're doing for quality assurance is wrong but think of quality and assurance in different ways different methods done by different people for different reasons and if you you unpick that quality and assurance have different methods they're done by different people for different reasons and what we're trying to say is don't equate the assurance management that we've talked about as quality assurance they're not the same thing that's good to make that distinction. My final question to each of you is, um, was there anything surprising or particularly interesting that you learnt whilst doing your interviews for the research, Sarah? I think for myself, it was um, the range of how organisations, these, these five organisations used assurance and their approach to it as well all very different um but with underlying particular themes and threads um so i'm always interested and, and that's possibly why i do the research is i'm just 
interested to understand what is going on out there and how it works for, for organizations or doesn't work for organizations as well. But at the same time, give them the feedback to help them develop their own um, their own systems too. But this idea, I think one of the things that, that struck me while I was really doing the uh, undertaking of research with Andrew was this idea of the feedback loop. Because as well as assurance being very closely connected with governance, with risk, with benefits realization, um, it's this idea of continuous improvement. Um, and this is why I um, uh, stretched back in one of my last uh, answers to uh, this point about the learning organization, because in the end, what you're trying to do, and I go back to this point, it's this, the so what question. You can do this, but what are you actually going to get out of it? Um, and the, um, the primary focus for assurance is around uh, supporting decision makers, um, looking at the risk uh, perceptions around this and the, the, the various focuses of risk, but it's also trying to improve what you're doing and how you're doing it. So for me, I think one of the key takeaways was this kind of feedback loop for continuous improvement as a result of assurance, as much as it is about decision-making um, and, and risk mitigation. Thank you. Andrew, how about you? Um, I would think it's, it, th there's several things, but I want to highlight one, one particular point in terms of things that stood out. And I don't know if it was about being surprised, but it was, a moment or created some clarity we we were asked by a number of individuals when we started to do this research just if you if you do good research you gotta ask good questions and they but what they were looking for though is the simple answer for what is the business case for assurance management i'm gonna it's gonna cost me this amount and i'm gonna get this out and i'm gonna avoid these risks and therefore it's all lovely and it's very you know formulaic that is not the approach that you can take with assurance management. And one of the reasons for that is if you're gonna measure impact on organizations, assurance management is about preventing issues and risks and challenges from being realized. And if you prevented it, you can't measure it, right? So you've got to come at it in a slightly different way. You've got to think, okay, the, the value comes therefore in terms of, of, of having a capability or capacity to make the program and project work well so what does that then look like is that's why we've shifted to more of a capability kind of a mindset where you're 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 building this capability for for assurance management as the support to governance rather than thinking that i if i i can you know do get a spreadsheet out and i'm going to come up with with the business case for assurance management because that'll lead you into the wrong place the challenge with that for the practitioners then is that's a little more complex way of thinking of things and so you've got to come at it and hopefully we have hints and tips and approach within the the study which allow you to unpick that complexity and approach it from a capability capacity perspective. Thank you. I mean, just to remind listeners that you can download the, re the report at uh, APM's website, which is apm.org.uk. Were there any final thoughts you wanted to share or pieces of advice before we sign off, either of you? I, I, there is one thing I would actually offer, Emma, and it was um, conversations, obviously, since the research as well, since the research was actually published back in, in back in April. Um, a lot of questions have been raised and Andrew and I have been with, with different forums and, and discussing this, this further. Um, 
but one of the questions which which um, really struck me was um, how do uh, the project community and organisation um, try to build the case for project assurance where there hasn't been any previously and there's no kind of history of that type of approach uh, within projects. Um, and I was just re reflecting on that and thinking back to, to, if you like, my early career within projects and programs. And, and one of the things that, that struck me was actually being able to do it in a, a very low key, discreet way as a, as a kind of like a, a project health check. Um, and Andrew quite rightly was making the point about building support and understanding for this at the senior levels. But I think there's also um, an opportunity here to build support and critical mass and groundswell at the local levels, at the practitioner level. And being able to do that, um, you know, within the, the project community itself, within the organisation or across organisations, um, still being able to take the pulse, but but do it at a, a fairly low level way, but still being able to demonstrate, if you like, to senior management that actually this has worked and it's of value and it's valuable to consider because what it has shown us is. Um, so it's about um, how do you actually start this within an organisation that has no history around it? And I think that was that's possibly a point that I, I would like to raise with you now. Thank you. Andrew, any final thoughts or pieces of advice? I think the, the, the research has broader implications beyond assurance management. Our, the five dimensions we identified were very relevant to, the, to, to, to the, or the case studies that we looked at when we considered assurance management. I believe that those are irrelevant to any of these services that are provided through program project management offices to governance. So you're going to find the same pattern, the same dimensions that emerge when you think of risk management, when you think of benefits realization, supply chain management, resource management, uh, all the things that you know we provide for uh, you know program project management offices provide to 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 decision makers, and I think these there's value going beyond just assurance. So when you're thinking about building those capabilities, other services, think about these dimensions. This isn't specific to assurance management. I think there's a broader implication, and I'm finding in my own practice, I'm applying that, and it, it's working for me. Uh, I, you know, wonder if that's going to uh, others would find the same thing. And there isn't a body of knowledge or research that draws out the dimensions in the way that we have here. Uh, although there's some earlier work that we we, we you know we drew, drew upon, but I think there's a broader implication, and I like to just sort of challenge the listeners to maybe think about that and see 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 if that helps them in their practice. Thank you. It just leaves me to say thank you for your insight and your valuable advice and your um, thoughts on this. As you say, a new and exciting area for the profession. And um, yeah, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you. And thank you. Thank you, Emma. Thanks again to Sarah and Andrew for joining us and to you for listening to this episode of the APM podcast. Don't forget to look out for more episodes in this series or to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and more. We'd welcome you to get in touch with your comments, feedback and suggestions by emailing us at apmpodcast at thinkpublishing.co.uk.
This podcast has been brought to you by APM, the chartered body for the project profession. For more information on APM, visit apm.org.uk. Thank you.